0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Welcome to Washington Watch. We're well, coming up on this Wednesday edition. Last night, in the wake of yesterday's vote removing Kevin McCarthy as House Speaker, the former Speaker said he would not continue to seek the Speaker's job, and he was going to be stepping aside.
2: From the day I entered politics, my mission has always been to make tomorrow better than today. I fought for what I believe in, and I believe in this country of America. My goals have not changed. My ability to fight is just in a different form.
1: Democrat Senate leader Chuck Schumer took the opportunity today to offer his advice to House Republicans. MAGA extremism is a poison
3: that the House GOP has refused to confront for years. And until the mainstream House Republicans deal with this issue, The chaos
1: will continue. Fortunately, like most of his advice, it will be ignored. We'll talk with Indiana Congressman Jim Banks on what is next in the House. The southern border continues to not only be a security problem for the nation, but polling also shows it is increasingly becoming a major political problem for the Democrats and for President Biden. So how do they respond? Well, they blame Republicans and spend more money.
4: The, the president is going
5: to continue to do everything that he can to deal with what's going on at the border. He asked for four billion
4: dollars in supplemental funding and House Republicans want to take away law enforcement at the border. And so you could not have two different ways of moving forward in dealing with the border.
1: Texas Senator Ted Cruz joins us for that conversation a little later. And the Army having trouble once again. Uh, meeting its recruiting goals this year, falling 10,000 short. So they are reportedly launching far-reaching reform efforts. Well, what are they? Are they the right reforms? We're going to talk with our own general, retired Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, joins us later for that discussion. And what happens when religious leaders and religious denominations depart from an orthodox view of Scripture in an effort to accommodate present-day unorthodox views? of issues such as human sexuality. Well, comments from Pope Francis regarding same-sex union suggest that that may be where he's taking the Catholic Church, but the Pope is not alone. Atlanta Pastor Andy Stanley is drawing widespread criticism after he hosted an LGBTQ conference at his church.
3: In my opinion, just my opinion, his version of biblical Christianity is the problem. His version, this version of biblical Christianity is why people are leaving Christianity unnecessarily.
1: Bottom line, that version of Christianity draws lines. And Jesus drew circles. That was uh, Andy Stanley last Sunday responding to Dr. Al Mohler's criticism of the conference. David Claussen, director of FRC Center for Biblical Worldview, will join me for a discussion on that topic. The website, TonyPerkins.com, lots of resources there for you, as well as contact information for our guest. Our word for today comes from Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been, been his counselor, or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid him? For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Paul closes this chapter on how God has and is accomplishing his plan and purpose to get the gospel message to the entire world. And this is what it's all about, Jesus. All things come from Jesus Christ, all things are sustained by Jesus Christ, and all things are for the purposes and glory of Jesus Christ. Bottom line? It's all about Jesus. You can join me weekday mornings for a short devotional based on our Stand on the Word Bible reading plan at TonyPerkins.com. Well, following yesterday's historic vote to remove Congressman Kevin McCarthy, as Speaker of the House, the lower chamber of Congress Congress announced a recess as leadership from both parties huddle privately to determine next steps. Congressman Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise have both announced they would seek the speakership. Others may enter before a scheduled vote next Wednesday. But where does this leave the work of the House as the clock continues to tick on the temporary funding bill passed last weekend that expires November the 17th? Well, joining me now to, uh, to discuss this is Congressman Jim Banks. He serves on the House Armed Services Committee, the House Committee on Education and Workforce, and is a member of the RSC Executive Committee. He represents the 3rd Congressional District of Indiana. Congressman Banks, welcome back to the program. Hey, Tony, good to be with you. Hey, and I also want to thank you for doing such a great job speaking on our military panel at last month's Pray Vote Stand Summit.
2: Uh, your comments were excellent. We got a lot of feedback on them. Well, I'm very honored to do it. I love being there. It's such a great crowd and to be with so many other conservatives. So thank you very much for having me.
1: Well, you have served in a leadership post. You headed up the Republican Study Committee. And uh, the the Congress now finds uh, itself in uncharted waters, especially uh, Republicans. Unprecedented situation. Walk us through the process that began last night
2: after the chair was vacated. Well, I I went to the the House Republican conference meeting where uh, former Speaker McCarthy announced that he wasn't going to run again, and that at that point, Patrick McHenry uh, had already been appointed the acting Speaker of the House. Now, Tony, as you can imagine, this has never happened before, so so many unanswered questions that couldn't be answered in that room last night. So the acting Speaker announced that on Tuesday of next week, we will have a candidate forum, and then the plan is on Wednesday to elect the next speaker of the house. I don't know if that's realistic. I don't know if that can if that's a time frame that will work, but what I do know is that the House of Representatives has come to a complete standstill until we elect a new speaker. So, it's important that we get this done. We need to get it done right. We need to elect a strong conservative speaker of the house who will fight back against the radical left and advance our conservative Republican agenda. I believe the obvious choice of who that should be is Jim Jordan, a proven conservative fighter who's always the one leading the fight uh, for conservative causes in the Congress. Other good names that are out there as well that, that uh, you and I know well, uh, it just seems to me like Jim Jordan is the conservative fighter who can unify Republicans at this time to move us forward. I just think we have to get it done quickly, get it done as fast as we can, get it done the right way and then unify the party and move forward.
1: I, I, I could not agree more in terms of the, the timing of this. It has to get done. But I want to be very clear. I, I, I want to make sure I have clarity on this. Nothing gets done until the speaker there. Will the appropriations process move forward at all, or is everything on pause until this is resolved?
2: Yeah, as we understand it, uh, per the rules, when a speaker is vacated from the position, everything comes to a standstill nothing can go nothing can work its way through uh, the floor of the congress now we just last saturday passed a, a continuing resolution i voted against it but it passed that kept the government open but now the the the, the clock is ticking we're 41 uh, 42 days away from uh, when that government spending package will expire and then we have another shutdown fight so right. time time is of the essence here to get a speaker of the house installed. And this is really important, I think, to to recognize. We need a speaker of the House who's going to go into that room with President Biden and Chuck Schumer and be one tough negotiator. Yeah. And that's why I really like Jim Jordan for this job. He doesn't back down. He's strong. He's principled. And and the and the the Democrats are the Democrats fear him. I mean that's why they've tried to literally destroy him over the what? past several years. They fear Jim Jordan. And that's why I think he would be the best choice for us. Here's what I'm, and here's what I'm really concerned about, Tony. If, if eight Republicans and every Democrat can bond together to oust the Republican speaker of the house, then every Democrat and maybe a different eight Republicans can bond together to elect the next speaker of the house. And this is what we have to, this is what we have to avoid at all costs. I mean, if in that scenario, a very moderate, squishy pro-abortion, um, uh, America last instead of an American first uh, Republican could be installed as the Speaker of the House with the with the help of the Democrats. And that will set us backwards in our cause of saving the country. Um, That's why I think it's important that Republicans get this right, that we unify and uh, come together to elect a Republican speaker not someone who's going to work with the Democrats to destroy this country.
1: You know, Congressman Banks, I've I've spoken to a few of our friends that are possible candidates for this, and there's a lot of hesitancy. I mean, obviously not Jim Jordan, Steve Scalise. They're out there. They've made themselves candidates. But... Uh, is there a sense that with Matt Gates you know, basically wearing a suicide vest and pulling the pin there and, and blowing up the whole thing, removing the speaker, is there a sense that that's not going to happen again? Or is there a sense that this could be a perpetual thing, that we could see this over and over again?
2: Well, it, it, it certainly, could, per the rules as they stand today, it could happen over and over again. 45 days from now, if a spending package passes that isn't to the liking of those eight Republicans or a different eight Republicans, they could call the motion to vacate and we could go over it, go through this over and over again. That's why we have to have a Speaker of the House who, that, who is trusted, who um, all members can trust them, trust their word to move forward. I think what happened yesterday was as much about personality conflicts that have been developing even over the last 10 years between some of these members and Speaker McCarthy. Um, we we got to put personalities aside and recognize that this country is in great peril. Uh, the, the, what's going on in America today, because of the ra- what the radical left is trying to do to destroy this country, Republicans have to be unified to fight back against it. My my grandpa always said the the Democrats are the evil party and the Republicans are the stupid party, and we look pretty stupid yesterday when we can't get we can't get together and move forward while the Democrats are unified and clean our clock on some of these uh, big but, issues. So I mean, I, I think I, he, that's why I think next week is so important for us to unify and move forward as fast as we can with a strong conservative Speaker of the House, not someone who's going to go along to get along with the Democrats. I
1: mean, you, you, you touched on something there that I think is very important because I've heard that in many of my private conversations, trust. And, and I think that it's essential in any relationship. But given the, the, the tightrope that the Speaker has to walk, doesn't mean you have to agree but you have to be able to trust and respect. And I, I think that was
2: a that was a major liability that uh, Kevin McCarthy had. Uh, especially with, with a handful of these members. So, uh, you know, it could have been a different scenario. It could have been it could have been eight very moderate members who did. I mean, one, one of the members, one of those eight members yesterday, by the way, Tony, uh, voted to oust. Speaker McCarthy, because Speaker McCarthy didn't put pro-abortion bills yes, on the I floor. So keep keep that in I mind, that. too. I mean, this I was a that. mixture of issues. So we, we just have to we have to come together, recognize what's at stake. America is at stake. So and we have to come together. The, the voters gave us a majority to be a check on Joe Biden and the dangerous radical agenda of the left. We've got to make sure that we live up to that or we're going to lose the majority in a, in a, in a quick minute.
1: I, I agree with that. 100% agree with that. So very quickly, we're up against a break. Is this the sense, what you're expressing here, is that shared broadly throughout the Republican conference? This need uh, to know, go I, forward I to so. unify.
2: I, yeah, I, I think so. I hope so. I'm going to do my part uh, to to bring us together. I, a lot of other members who are respected across the board in the conference, We I've been on the phone with so many of my colleagues today that recognize that yesterday was a bad look for our party, for Our Congress, for our country, we got to come together, and that's what—that's what a number of us are trying to do at the moment to bring us together over the weekend, so we can march forward and and lockstep next week.
1: All right, Congressman Jim Banks. Always great to see you. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you.
2: And
1: and folks, I would encourage you to be praying that um, this does happen, that unity occurs around truth, around trust, and there is a way forward. I mean, there is a way forward; they just have to find it, and we need to pray. As uh, Paul told Timothy, pray for those in authority, especially kings and leaders. We need to be praying for them. All right, when we come back, we're going to be joined by Texas Senator Ted Cruz to talk about the border. That's next here on Washington, Washington.
0: their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous.
4: Welcome back. All
1: right. The Democratic governor of Illinois, J.B. Pritzker, has joined the list of blue state officials with a harsh assessment of President Biden's open border immigration policy, calling the chaotic situation untenable. Now, Pritzker, like uh, New York State Governor Kathy Hochul and New York City Mayor Eric Adams, is feeling the pressure from sanctuary city policies he had previously supported. Now, here's the question. Could the political reality that has hit these state and local leaders be making its way to Joe Biden? I don't think it has yet, but there's something that's turning these state and local leaders around on this issue. Joining me now to discuss this and more, Senator Ted Cruz from Texas. He serves on the Senate Judiciary Committee, the Senate Rules Committee and the Senate Committee on Foreign Relations. Senator Cruz, welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to see you. Thank you, Tony. Always great to be with you. So we have the, the worst immigration situation in our nation, illegal immigration. Now even advocates for sanctuary cities are changing their tune. Is it fair to say yeah. that tactics like those used by Texas Governor Greg Abbott to get other states to share the burden of this uncontrolled border chaos did more to persuade on this issue in one year than anything else in the last 40 years?
3: Oh, look, absolutely. It has brought home the consequences of of this unprecedented action. Look, look, however bad you think our border crisis is, unless you've seen it firsthand, I promise you it is worse than you think it is. When you go down to the border, it is a constant wave. It is a constant invasion. We're now north of 7.6 million people who have come illegally into this country since Joe Biden became president. And, And you know you talked about democratic mayors and democratic governors take a look at at, at someone like eric adams the, the the mayor of new york city who who faced with 110,000 illegal immigrants he has said that illegal immigration is a crisis and that it is destroying new york city well if 110,000 is destroying new york city what does he think 7.6 million are doing to the state of texas and the other states on our southern border this is indefensible. And I got to tell you, the people who are suffering, the, 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 the thousands upon thousands of people who are dying, the crimes that are being committed, the children that are being brutalized, the women who are being sexually assaulted, the Americans who are dying of drug overdoses. It, it is a travesty at a level never seen on our border until Joe Biden and these radical Democrats came into office. So,
1: Senator, as you mentioned, we talked about the, the Democratic leaders are saying, hey, this this policy doesn't work. We got to fix it Yeah. Falling on deaf ears. The polling now shows that the American people, when you look at the economy, you look at crime and border, those are the top issues people are concerned about. And they give the Democrats failing marks on that. So what's behind this? I mean, is the president and his administration absolutely blind or is there a bigger agenda here?
3: So it's not even that they're blind, it's it's that they're willfully blind. They do not care. They want this outcome. The thing to understand is Joe Biden is not trying to stop illegal immigration. Alejandro Mayorkas, the Secretary of Homeland Security is not trying to stop illegal immigration. He wants more of it. He's trying to accelerate it. He's trying to facilitate it. He views his job as an effort to get even more efficient, taking people, you're showing footage right now of people walking across the border in droves. He wants to get even faster and faster and faster, sending those people to every city in America. He wants to be the most efficient, processing. Today, right now, the Biden administration is the last mile of the human trafficking network that is brutalizing millions of people. And and really, there are two reasons for it. Number one, this Democrat Party has handed their agenda over the radical fringe on just about every issue. And so on, on immigration, it's the open borders crazies who believe we shouldn't have a border, that we have no right to have a border, that anyone on the face of the earth who wants to come to America should be allowed to come. But number two... I think for Joe Biden and other partisan Democrats, they look at every one of these illegal immigrants and they view them as future Democrat voters. And this is about power. It's about political power. They want to change the demographic uh, constitution of the nation to elect more Democrats. And, and if thousands upon thousands of children have to suffer as a consequence, they're more than happy to pay the price. And, you know, it's striking These Democrat mayors, these Democrat governors, they're now calling out the disaster. But you know who they're not willing to call out? Joe Biden. To a person, none of them say the next step, which is the reason this disaster is happening, is because my party caused it. Eric Adams, the New York mayor, said the the problem in New York, and he said it's, quote, this madman in Texas by which he meant our governor, Greg Abbott. I got to tell you, Tony, I was offended that he didn't mean me. I I, I don't know what I got to do to qualify as a madman in Texas for Eric Adams. But he meant Greg Abbott. Greg Abbott sent about 10,000 illegal immigrants to New York City, about 100,000. They're about 110,000 altogether. So Abbott has just sent a small portion. Fewer than 10% of the illegal immigrants in New York City were sent by Abbott. and yet. Eric Adams will not blame Joe Biden, and he won't blame Chuck Schumer, who lives in Manhattan. I've offered to give Eric Adams Schumer's cell phone. If he wants to put blame at the feet of the people who could change it, he needs to be willing to call out his own party, and none of these blue state Democrats have indicated any willingness
1: to do that. But the American people see who is behind this, because while the White House blames the Republicans, the American people see it's the Democrats. Uh, Related to this, in in a way, is this lawlessness. And we're seeing a rise in crime across the nation and and in our nation's capital. I mean, it's getting dangerous to walk the streets in Washington, D.C.
3: Well, look, that that is exactly right. We had just this week Henry Cuellar, a congressman from the great state of Texas, uh, he was carjacked at uh, 9.30 p.m. outside his apartment. Apparently, it's an apartment building that multiple members of Congress live in that building. And, and, and he had three or four men with guns pull a gun on him, take his car, take his luggage and carjack him. And, and, and I got to say, it's really striking because... The, THE ELECTED DEMOCRATS IN THE D.C. CITY COUNCIL RECENTLY VOTED TO LOWER THE PENALTIES FOR CARJACKING AND LOWER THE PENALTIES FOR MURDER AND FOR BURGLARY AND FOR VIOLENT CRIME. AND, and, and IT WAS SO EXTREME that, that, THAT CONGRESS, WE VOTED TO OVERTURN THE D.C. CITY COUNCIL LESSENING THE PUNISHMENT FOR VIOLENT CRIME. IN THE HOUSE, THERE WERE ONLY TWO DEMOCRATS WHO VOTED WITH REPUBLICANS AGAINST LOWERING THE PENALTIES FOR CARJACKING. ONE OF THOSE TWO WAS HENRY CUELLAR. Uh, The other was Vicente Gonzalez, who's another Texan. Every other Democrat voted in favor of lessening the penalties. Uh, As you know, Tony, I I, I do every week a podcast. It's called Verdict with Ted Cruz. I do it Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Actually, today's podcast discusses two things, discusses the Speaker of the House, chaos that's unfolding in, in, in the House yesterday and what it means, what's likely to come up next. But secondly, it discusses exactly this issue you just raised, which is the crime wave in D.C. and across the country that is being caused by these radical soft on crime policies from Democrats. Senator,
1: we've got to leave it there. We're out of time. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day. Always a pleasure. All right, folks. Don't go away. We're back after this.
4: Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion.
6: Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org worldview. Again, go to frc.org worldview.
1: The website, TonyPerkins.com, resources there for you so that you can be an active participant in our republic. Our country was made not for spectators, but for participants. Go to TonyPerkins.com. Yesterday, Pentagon officials announced sweeping changes to the military's recruiting process as the Army faces recruitment challenges that they've not seen really in the 50 years since the end of the draft. Among the changes, no longer will the Army place officers on temporary assignment as recruiters. Instead, they're going to have a team of permanent, full-time talent acquisition specialists who will handle that role. But are those the reforms that are really needed? Are they missing what is actually hurting the military recruitment? and retention. Joining me now to discuss this is retired Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin. He serves as FRC's Executive Vice President. General Boykin spent his last four years of his 36-year military career serving as a Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence. He was also one of the first, uh, one of the original members of the Army's Delta Force. General, welcome back to Washington Watch. Always great to see you.
7: Good to be with you, Tony.
1: So the Pentagon officials have identified uh, what they call the problem, Two years in a row, they've missed their recruiting numbers. This year, they were 10,000 short. Last year, they were 15,000 short. So is this just a matter of not having talent acquisition specialists in place?
7: I tell you, we come up with a new name for just about everything that is problematic. And what's problematic here is we're not attracting these young men and women across America because we are offering them nothing but bullying and woke agenda training. Now stop and think about that. If you were uh, of, of an age, and you're way too old now to even think about this, but if you were of an age to be looking to go into the military, would you want to go into the military that does not train you for war, that does not give you anything to make you feel like a warrior, feel like somebody that can go out on that battlefield and be victorious. But what they do give you is, uh, is critical race theory and inclusion training and all of these things. The Army is failing. The whole military is failing to recruit adequate people because they will not face up to the reality that they have gotten so far off track that they need to go back to the time-tested things that we've used to fill the ranks of our military, and if they don't, we're going to wind up with a a, a, a draft. Is the only option. Uh,
1: General, I'm going to sidestep the comment about my age there for a moment, and I'm going to to move on to a substantive discussion. Um, This brings us to a point of having the smallest force since 1940. That was before World War II. Mm-hmm. Does this put us in jeopardy when we talk about national security?
7: Oh, there's no question about that, Tony. I, listen, all you have to do is look at what's happening with Russia, Iran, North Korea, the Chinese. As they are building up their forces, as they are gaining strength, uh, the kind of strength that they will need in a— in a uh, a war against America, which is their primary target, uh, we ought to look at ourselves and say, no, are we keeping up with them at least? And the answer is we are not. And it's for the reasons I just talked about a few Mm -hmm. minutes ago. uh, We are doing things that have nothing to do with preparing for war. They have everything to do with a radical, leftist agenda of this administration and others like them around the world, and we call them Marxist. So has this
1: problem been veiled somewhat because in the last two decades we've really relied very heavily on special forces to do our our work and so we while we're not we're kind of losing that warrior class that's been actually happening for a while we've been reliant upon special forces but are they now being affected as well by these woke policies
7: They are indeed and I'm a, you know I hate to say that but that yes they are the special forces are being impacted by this as well. Maybe not to the extent that uh, that some of the conventional forces are, but the special forces, the Rangers and others. Yes, they're all being uh, impacted by these mandatory things that they have to do, which in most cases take time away from what they really ought to be doing, which is out there on the range, out there shooting their weapons, becoming proficient in their in their skills. And those are the skills that they're going to need on the battlefield. And uh, we're wasting a lot of time.
1: But it's not only the wasted time. It's also the environment that's created by this, where, you know, using the wrong pronoun in some cases could become a career-ending misstep.
7: That is correct. And the other part of it is uh, that we have bullied uh, our soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines. We've bullied them all. And if you read through some of the stuff that's available right now, You'll find out that we we put out 8,000 people, over 8,000 actually, in the Army alone. And, uh, and and if you talk to some of the soldiers that I have talked to, they will tell you they were bullied. And some of them were bullied into taking the vaccine and others who refused to take it were put out of the military. Bullying. Now, you think that they are going to want to, uh, any soldier is going to want to follow a leader that has just bullied him into doing something that he is very opposed to, which right. is take a vaccine that he, th- he does not believe in for various reasons, part of which are his personal faith. That's and not going to happen. You're not going to get a, bu- a soldier on the battlefield to follow a leader that knows that that leader does not care about him. He cares about his next promotion and he is not going to do anything to try and preserve that soldier's career. He's going to follow some ridiculous uh, instructions that he has received and hasn't done anything to push back on it and say, right. my soldiers don't want this. And it my starts soldiers the, don't need this.
1: It starts at the very and, uh, top. General, Tony, we're, we're out of time. Got to leave it there. We'll pick it up next time. Folks, stick with us. We're back after this.
6: Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders. For this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media, watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to prayvotestand.org. Again, that's prayvotestand.org.
0: FRC celebrating 40 years with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
7: Wishing everybody at Family Research Council
2: a happy 40th anniversary. As a church, it's our joy to partner with such a great ministry like yours. You're on the front line of fighting for faith, family, and freedom. So thank you, Tony Perkins, all the staff, and all the volunteers at Family Research Council, and happy 40th anniversary. Well, that was
1: my good friend, Pastor Gary Hamrick at Cornerstone Chapel, which uh, we've actually had a number of events at. And you know he and Pastor Jack and so many other pastors that are out there preaching the word of God and their churches are exploding because people want to be challenged with the truth. And, and we need the truth. We, in this day of darkness, we need the light. We need to know how to go forward. And, and one thing I can assure you, is that here at Washington Watch and at the Family Research Council, we are not going to shrink back from the Word of God. It is our foundation, and it is the way forward for this nation. This nation was built upon biblical principles and truth, and so if it is to be sustained, it must be sustained on those same biblical principles and truth. And that's why I don't do this gleefully or joyfully, but I think... It is something that has to be discussed. We're seeing, you know, pastors from different denominations stepping forward and trying to accommodate unorthodox views of human sexuality. They're trying to accommodate that within the context of biblical orthodoxy, and it just doesn't work. Last week, Pastor Anlie Stanley's North Point Community Church just outside Atlanta held a sold-out pastors' conference called Unconditional. Now, let me just say, before we get into this, um, I, I don't talk about other Christian leaders often, but this is, this is, this is heresy, and, and it needs to be addressed. And I've personally tried to talk with him about this. I've communicated with him in the past when he first kind of fell off the wagon, so it's not like I'm just talking about this publicly. But they had this conference Uh, called Unconditional, and according to the conference website, the event was for parents, it was for ministry leaders, and for counselors who wanted to love and support the LGBTQ plus community quote-unquote well from a, quote, quieter middle space. Now, I'm not sure what that means. I, I, I assume that quieter space, the middle space, is apparently one in which homosexuality and transgenderism are somehow not in conflict with biblical teaching. Well, the only way you can arrive at that is by getting rid of biblical teaching. Now, we've seen something very similar coming from the Pope, Pope Francis. Uh, recently, when he, was, he suggested that there may be a way for the Catholic Church to officially bless same-sex unions. Now, again, this is what happens when doctrine is not grounded in the Word of God. And what happens once we bless a little sin? Where do we go? Well, joining me now to discuss this and more, David Kloss the Director of the Center for Biblical Worldview here at the Family Research Council and author of a number of resources on this very topic, including one entitled, Biblical Principles for Human Sexuality. David, welcome back to Washington Watch.
5: Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you, Tony.
1: Now, uh, Dr. Al Moeller, who is actually overseas uh, and was unable to to, uh, to join us in this conversation, but he... Uh, He responded, Andy Stanley, and Andy actually uh, uh, responded to Dr. Moeller in his Sunday service. But both Andy Stanley and Pope Francis offered statements this week that show a willingness to part from biblical orthodoxy. Now, this is the crux of the issue in both cases, is it not?
5: Oh, it absolutely is, Tony. And I think that we need to realize that that is at the core of what's going on here. In one sense, I think we should probably take them case by case. In Andy Stanley's situation, uh, this is regrettable. This is so sad to see. But this is the inevitable progression of undermining and delegitimizing the Bible, which we have seen, unfortunately, in Andy's ministry now for years. You'll remember this, Tony, it was only a couple of years ago, it was in 2018, uh, when Andy Stanley famously said that to make the Christian message relevant, uh, we need to quote-unquote unhitch the New Testament from the Old Testament. Uh, He was very insistent upon that. Uh, A couple years ago, he also referred to Romans 1, 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 9, and other passages Uh, That deal with marriage and sexuality, he referred to those as clobber passages and and talked about how the heroic faith of those who identify as same-sex attracted needs to be celebrated. And so, again, what we saw at this conference and what we heard in his sermon is really, again, I would argue, uh, the inevitable progression of delegitimizing and undermining uh, God's Word uh, over the course of several years. When you depart from biblical orthodox when I mean, you, you we depart from the
1: word of god and you try to as he was talking about drawing circles
5: um, where, where does repentance fit into that Well, that's a great question, because in Andy Stanley's conception, there is no repentance. Uh, He talked about how they like to draw big circles at North Point Church. He says, you know, Jesus didn't draw lines. Uh, Jesus drew circles. Therefore, we're going to draw circles. Well, just thinking about that, my mind, Tony, immediately went to John 8. And you think about Jesus and, and the Samaritan woman. What did Jesus say? He said, go and sin no more. Uh, Jesus constantly drew lines. He drew lines between the faithful and the unfaithful. He drew lines uh, between the goats and the sheep. He drew lines between those who believed in him and those who rejected him. And and so, what happens when you go where Andy's going, saying that we don't draw lines, that we accept you as you are? There's no, no you know, no need for repentance. What you've done there, and I think this is crucial. This is gutting the gospel. And so, I, I use these this language very carefully. But this is apostasy, this is heretical teaching to say that you can be accepted, you can come as you are, no need to turn from sin. Uh, this is taking repentance, a uh, metanoia, turning away is what that word really means in the Greek, taking repentance, is taking sanctification out of the gospel. And So what you have left is what you would call moralistic therapeutic deism, but it's certainly not the gospel. Uh, but the gospel message
1: is, come as you are, but leave transformed as God would have you be. I mean, you 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 come and, and 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 there is a standard. Now we we don't all of us are sinners, but Jesus didn't die on the cross to affirm us in our sin. He came to save us from our sins, and that means we, as you said, the the Greek word there, metanoia, meaning to change your mind, change your behavior, that we turn from that. So you know, this is a difficult issue, and I, and I, and I understand because we've talked about it many, many times, and many, many Christians are tr- having a difficult time when a son, a daughter, a granddaughter, grandson, or neighbor, or, or somebody comes out and says, you know what, I'm, 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 I'm not a girl, I'm a boy, or I love a girl, and I'm a girl, or whatever it is. And, and so you think, you know, I love this person, and, and so how can it possibly be that God would say this behavior is not right? So I think, in part, we have to start—we've conflated love and affirmation, for one. We've talked about that before. Um, But how does one work through that? Just because these things are happening, we can't change the Word of God to to meet present-day
5: unorthodox behavior. No, we can't, Tony. And I think in these kinds of conversations, of which I've been a part of many of these conversations, uh, Ephesians 4.15, it says, we speak the truth in love. Uh, that's the advice that Paul, that's not just advice, <laughs> that's the instruction, that's the admonition that Paul gave the Ephesians in, in chapter 4, verse 15. We speak the truth in love. We we can't compromise the truth. We can't water it d- down. Uh, we, we say it winsomely. We, we say it lovingly. We say it in kindness. Uh, but God has a standard. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, another really helpful place to go. Uh, Paul actually talks about categories of people who can't inherit the kingdom of God, of which uh, he he says those who practice homosexuality. He he lists other sins as well. But what does he say, Tony, in verse 10? Such were some of you. Uh, You were justified. You were washed. You were sanctified. And so the Bible has this category uh, where it understands that all of us, we we do come with our sins. We come with our mess, uh, but we, we don't stay in that. Uh, we, we, we come to the gospel, uh, the good news that we can be forgiven of our sins. That, that's, that's what the gospel is. It's good news that you and I can be reconciled with a holy God. We can be forgiven of our sins. Our sin is uh, put on Christ. We receive his righteousness. And so, again, James chapter 2, Tony, uh, says that authentic faith, Uh, is manifested in its works. And so uh, I I think it's just so important to say in these conversations, uh, Jesus in the gospel has the power to bring real, authentic change. Uh, And that's where we need to be in this conversation, transformation. We can't subvert or transform uh, God's Word to say something that actually teaches the exact opposite. and, And it is the truth that sets us free.
1: But if we're afraid to speak the truth. How will people be free? I mean, Paul talks about how will they know unless there is someone who preaches, someone who proclaims that truth. And I, I, I mean, I want to kind of follow the logic here a little bit with essentially the same um, points being made by Andy Stanley and by uh, the Pope that you can bless these same sex, uh, relationships. In, in fact, Andy said, you know, we have to make a decision when two people make a decision to enter into a same-sex romantic partnership, it's our decision to determine how we're going to respond to that decision. So so why is uh, homosexuality, transgenderism put into a different category? I mean, what if it were someone who was already married and decided, you know what, I really love this, this other person. It's not my spouse, but, you know, I'm, I'm I'm going to enter into a relationship with that person because that's what I feel like I should do. How do you say that that's wrong but not the other relationship?
5: Well, and that's a fair point, Tony. I think that's where those of us who are Christians need to be consistent with our sexual ethic. Uh, God's Word is very clear. Uh, Look at Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 5 on what marriage is, uh, this uh, relationship between one man and one woman for life. Uh, it represents the relationship that God has, uh, that Christ has with his church. And, and there have been times uh, in church, recent church history, where the church has uh kind of turned uh, away from criticizing and condemning uh, divorce and other things and fornication. Uh, We don't even use the word fornication anymore, uh, talking about sex outside of marriage. And and so sometimes it is, uh, I think, with good reason that some people say, well, you Christians Uh, only focus on homosexuality or so-called same-sex marriage. And so I think we do need to have a consistent sexual ethic. The Bible has a a consistent sexual ethic. And I do think that the churches uh, that have maintained a, a high view of the Bible, that have affirmed the authority and inerrancy and infallibility of the Bible, have maintained a consistent biblical ethic. And, Tony, it's going to be increasingly harder to do that as these, you know, we're facing the headwinds right now. And those churches, those denominations uh, that continue to insist on a understanding that the Bible teaches uh, about marriage between one man and one woman and that sexuality is to be confined in the boundaries of marriage, increasingly we're going to seen, be seen as outdated and bigoted and subversive. And, Tony, the, that, that right there, I think, is one of the reasons uh, that Andy Stanley and even Pope Francis are trying to find some way to find a, a middle way uh, because it's not fun being in the crosshairs of society and the crosshairs of culture, but that's where we need to take it back to what God's word says, and where where, where there's a thus saith the Lord, that's where we need to stand firm, uh, come what may.
1: But where will this ultimately lead from? You know, I have elected leaders all the time say, you know, Tony, why why do Christians want me to talk about and vote on issues that pastors won't preach about from their pulpits? And so the, the church is kind of the standard for morality in our nation. But so if we reject the word of God and we just, you know, start redefining things, what becomes the standard? I mean, how do you determine what's right and wrong if you have jettisoned the word of God as that standard?
5: Well, when that happens, Tony, you end up where you've, uh, in the book of Judges, uh, you know, where there's no king, where there's no standard. Everyone does what is right in his own eyes. One of the things that FRC's uh, Center for Biblical Worldview survey that we released math- last month shows that unfortunately and tragically uh, that an increasing number of people in the church no longer believe in something called objective truth, that there are absolute moral standards. And so I think one of the reasons, Tony, that the church is under siege right now in all quarters uh, is because the church is one of the last bastions uh, that declares that there is such a thing as objective truth, there is such a thing as absolute moral standards. And when that standard is compromised, uh, we don't have to guess what happens, Tony. Look at this country in the 20th century when theological liberalism entered uh, mainline denominations. Uh, Look at those hollowed-out churches that have no members, that have no doctrine, that have no theology. Uh, that's what's going to happen to the rest of our churches and denominations if we go the way of abandoning God's Word.
1: Well, and I would argue the, by extension, that's what we've seen in the broader society, where we've seen the Bible and prayer removed from our schools, where we've seen you know lawlessness begin to spread across the country. It's because the, the church, the truth, has retreated from engaging the culture, from being the salt and light that we were called to be. David Clawson, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Thank you, Tony. And folks, by the way, David's got uh, a number of publications regarding biblical worldview and how we think through these issues, and so you can find those at frc.org. And, and we're going to continue to talk about this, not from a standpoint of, again, uh, trying to to shame pastors that have left the reservation, but more to keep other pastors on the reservation and us as as followers of Christ. It it really comes back to the Word of God, and I'm telling you, it never changes. Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever, and you'll never go wrong standing on the Word of God. It doesn't change. All right, folks, out of time for today. Thanks for joining us, and until next time. I leave you once again with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing.
0: Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council 7234.